W-W-R-H-U. You're listening to the Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call on 88.7 FM, Radio Hofstra University. All thoughts and opinions stated here on Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call do not reflect the views of Hofstra University, 88.7 FM, WRHU, as well as its management. All contrasting views can be sent to programming at WRHU.org or to 111 Hofstra University, Hempstead, New York, 11549. Your morning show team will be back right after these updates. You're listening to Radio Hofstra University, available worldwide at WRHU.org. Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call. Morning Wake Up Call. Lively talk. Long Island life. National news. International issues. Through the minds and mouths of Hofstra students. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Friday show. It is me, uh, some people call me the Space Cowboy. Some people <laughs> call me the Gangster of Love. Some people call me Maurice. Wow. wow. <laughs> oh, man. It's going to be good vibes today. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. And as always, Eddie Fitz here, joined by the one, the only, the lady who hates the cold. It's yes. Sabil Ratso. Sabil, how we doing? I'm doing pretty well, um, but as you said, I do hate the cold. I can't quite handle it right now, honestly, but we'll get used to it. It's only the beginning of fall, yeah. um, but I'm happy that it's October, Monstober. I love Halloween. Spooky season. Yes, <laughs> my favorite season, so there's that going. Can't wait for all of the empty, abandoned strip malls to be turned into spirit Halloweens this month. Mm-hmm. going to be so great. Uh, can't wait to... Do you have your costume planned yet? Um, I have one. I think for... Well, I have one costume plan. I'm probably going to do multiple, but one of them I'm thinking I want to be, um, Penny from The Proud Family. Ooh, yo! (laughs) That's so cool! (laughs) Yeah! yeah! Yo, that's an OG show. Oh, man. (laughs) You just been watching it on Disney Plus or something? Yeah, not recently, but, like, I definitely used to watch it as a kid, and I was watching it, like, a few months ago, and I think that's when the idea spawned. Exactly. (laughs) Um, There you go. That's so fun. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, no. Halloween is upon us. It is the first show of October. We got a month of this show under our belt already. Holy smokes. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Not sure if I can handle it. Please help. Please help. Please help. Uh, (laughs) Other than that, let's get into the news for today because Sibyl... You are a you. Your piece was highlighted a lot this week from yeah. the Hofstra Chronicle. You can go ahead and read it uh, whenever you want. It's an op-ed. It's online. It's called "The Abuse of Haitian Migrants Sets Us Back 200 Years." Now, Sibyl, t- do tell, please. <laughs> you wrote the piece. Yeah, so we talked about it a little last week. Um, a lot of people at this point, I think we all know that, like. Um, I think two weeks ago, like Border Patrol, there were pictures circulating of Border Patrol basically chasing Haitian migrants around who were seeking asylum in the U.S. They were chasing them around with on horseback with like um, basically a whip in their hands. And these images caused a lot of controversy about, you know, how Border Patrol, how Border Patrol is abusing their power. Um, against migrants who are just, you know, looking for a better life in the U.S. 
So I wrote an op-ed talking about how just those pictures alone, like, it set the U.S. back by a lot of years, like 200 years. And I sort of outlined, like, the multiple times when the U.S. has done Haiti wrong. I talked about um, how Haiti was basically, like, set up to fail after they gained independence from France in 1804. And, yeah, I mean... That's basically what it was about. Um, honestly, like an update on that. The, the governor of Texas is saying that because a lot of Border Patrol got fired from that, obviously. Right. Um, but the government, the governor of Texas uh, said a few days ago that he is planning to rehire um, like the people who got fired from the border in Texas, which was kind of... I don't know. It was kind of backwards because Biden and Kamala Harris expressed that they did not approve of, like, the actions of Border Patrol. But then you see, like, another not equally powerful government official, but pretty powerful, like, basically supporting it. Yeah, it's a it's a double edged. It's a two way street that yeah. it appears that that certain people have to drive on. Uh, I was. Let's get into a little bit of reaction and and the comments that you listed here. You know, you talked about how on I guess this would have been last Tuesday um, yeah. that Vice President uh, Harris expressed concern, and she said, "What I saw depicted about those individuals on horseback treating human beings the way they were is horrible, and I fully support what is happening right now, like i.e., firing them." Mm-hmm. Which is a uh, which is a thorough investigation into exactly what is going on there. I I want to get your take as you know we look at migration immigration uh, as a whole. We we think back to a couple months earlier, and this is the same person who was like, "Don't come here mm-hmm. it, to Guatemala, please don't come here," and yeah. you know it's just. There's more. Uh, there's another caravan that is making its way up from, I believe, Peru. Uh, and there will be continued fears of, of immigrant caravans. And so eventually yeah. <laughs> it can't be a reaction basis anymore. Uh, do you, yeah. would, you, would you agree with that? That like it seems like we only want to deal with the problem of migration when we're forced to like deal with like you know the human rights issues that we that we have at a certain point like we're only being a reactionary society about immigration i don't know how you feel yeah completely i mean i kind of expressed that in the op-ed that i wrote like i was saying that it's definitely not enough for like um you know government people to constantly like publicly disapprove um what's happening and then you know when no one's looking they're kind of setting it up to happen again and again and again and it's not even just with immigration it's with so many other injustices that happen in the u.s um but yeah i definitely agree that like it they kind of just react when they have to when like people force them to um or when people are looking to them to do something uh let's continue onward now again on still on reaction uh the last line of your Mm -hmm. piece this is a crisis that needs more than performative reposts on social media 
meant to, quote, spread awareness. It's time for Haitian Americans to stop paying reparations. It's time for the U.S. to take initiative and to figure out how to do better. The era of America first needs to end here and now. That first part right there, the social media uh, activists. We talked about this a, a little bit on the show before about mm-hmm. performative activism and, uh, you know, especially, you know, during the George Floyd trial and um, how how do you feel as, you know, somebody who wrote a whole piece about this that, like, are people missing the point? Are people just not doing enough like i i don't want you to like be a spokesperson for for activism or or what the right kind of activism is but from a more personal level like this is this is a story that like you feel connected to so like how do you how do you navigate this social media performance activism to be able to find where the real activism is in your opinion so what i noticed sorry what i noticed like when those pictures first started getting spread was that I had an issue with it from the start because there's an issue on social media where people constantly spread pictures of like black trauma Mm -hmm. for like it's for shock value but it's it's just like the picture was being spread but there was no information on how you can help and I think that that's like the that's an example of performative activism. Like you're saying you have an issue with it, but what are you doing to help? Because spreading that picture isn't doing anything. It's just dehumanizing. I actually made a point to like not have that picture included in my article. Like I literally texted the editor and I was like, like, I don't know what picture you're going to use, but don't use that one mm-hmm. because it's it's dehumanizing. Like when I saw it, I was I don't know. I, I was I mean, I said it like it, I said it last week. It kind of like broke my soul a little because it was like another picture of like black people being like um I don't know just black people being disrespected again disrespected is a loose word but like that's like the first word I could think of but yeah like you can't just spread pictures and say oh this is bad like you have to include resources on how to help or you have to like educate yourself on like the history behind it if you because there's not really much we can do to help but you have to like educate yourself you can't just like find a picture that you see on twitter like decide you have a problem with it and spread it around because Mm -hmm. that doesn't do anything uh recently this week it is the inauguration of our new president dr cheryl posner i had the uh, amazing privilege to sit down uh, with the keynote speaker on Monday, uh, Mr. Charles Blow. Um, he came and he spoke, a- and some of his points were, were phenomenal. Uh, I mean, this is, a, this is a writer, a CNN contributor, a New York Times op-ed. His, a, play, a, a opera about his life opened up at the Met this week. Like, incre- really? Yeah, incredible guy. Oh, wow. Yeah, very cool man. Um, but... He was he was point blank and he was very uh, very forthright and forthright in his um, in his delivery and we were and he talked a little bit about you know 
I will say that Hofstra is a PWI, predominantly white institution. And so when you, yeah, (laughs) and so when you're talking to a room full of white kids who who can't, who some of them have better grasps of of what racism means than others, uh, he he point he put it point blank, and uh, and I want to get your thoughts on this. That like, ultimately, when it comes to what white people can do on racism and and how to upend white supremacy it comes down to are you willing to give up the system that has gotten you to this point for the sake of not knowing what a potential new system can bring and like essentially are you willing to to give up some of the advantages to give up you know, the extra leg. Because as soon as the advantage gets taken away, that's when people start having gripes. That's when people stop being for equality and, and, stop be, and start being, you know, uh, what I would call a little bit more diet racism uh, in, in that sense. That uh, it's not fully racist because, but, but it's just, it's not important enough to just say that you are for equality, that you that you think people should be equal. Most of the time when people have issues and they think of racism, they think of cruelty, right? They don't mm-hmm. think of the, the human aspect of equality, right? Uh, oh, slaves were not good. They were being mistreated. They were being, you know, uh, sexually her- assaulted and, and, and all of those kinds of things. I don't like that. I think that we need to end slavery. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, black people are getting beaten up in the streets in Selma. Bull Connor is doing this, this, and this. I don't like the way he's treating that Dr. King fellow. I think that we should, you know, give black people the right to vote. Oh, this person is, you know, kneeling on, on this man's neck, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to go down. Again, we just <laughs> talked about how it's not great to perpetuate black trauma. And, uh, but like I said, if you're willing to upend a system that has given you advantages and see the equality side more than the cruelty side, that's when you can start to understand how to uproot racism and, and, and where to fight. I don't, know, I don't know about your thoughts on that. No, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. Like you, you have to be. I think that white people have to be willing to like give up um, a lot of the privilege that they've gotten unfairly, and I think that that's like scary and like threatening to them. So they'll say what they have to to like you know establish that they're not racist. I say mm-hmm. that in quotation marks, but they're not actually willing to do anything to end racism because yes. what would that mean for them? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, go. <laughs> uh, no, I have not. I, I have nothing else to say. I was just was pulling my microphone a little bit closer. Just. Uh, yeah. Just a little bit. But it was just kind of disappointing to see, like, like this is what I was talking about in my article. Um, I was saying how, like, basically, this is like a repeat of history from, like, you know, how the U.S. has done, like, Haiti wrong, like Haiti right. especially wrong. Um, because like it like even in the 80s i mentioned this like in the 80s haiti was blamed for bringing aids to the us which is completely wrong they did not bring aids to the us and um 
in the 90s this is like a, this is like an exact repeat of history because in the 90s the Bis- the bush administration detained and rejected thousands of haitian refugees who were fleeing dangerous conditions which is essentially like what was happening now he like detained them in like guantanamo bay and it's like this is the same thing happening there was a lot of controversy about it in the 90s i think it was like 1991 but i'm not actually sure but there was a lot of controversy in the 90s and then the u.s didn't learn from that um what yeah and no (laughs) and then yeah and then in 2018 i can't say this word on air but i think we all remember what trump what trump called haiti um publicly but yeah like the u.s has like it's like a repeat like constantly constantly like doing haiti wrong over and over again and it's like when does it end yeah i i I think one of the things i'll leave it on um is that last line from from that paragraph that yeah Mm -hmm. that you just were talking about the truth is Haiti's still being punished for attempting to gain independence since 1804. Yeah. Um, it's it's difficult. I don't, like, I, 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 we owe a lot. Um, yeah. And, and I, it's, like, because of this, like, nobody knows about, like, the, like, Haiti has, like, this beautiful history. Like, they were literally the first black-led republic Mm -hmm. like the first the first black nation to gain independence like the first caribbean empire like they were the first to do so much they set the bar so much but because of like you know all the wrongdoings that have been done against them like nobody knows that much about it like when you think of haiti you think poverty that's it Mm. you think the poorest country in the western hemisphere but that's i mean i don't see it as that because i wasn't raised to see it like that right um but a lot of people do. Yeah. Uh, I will say this. There may be some out there that are just like, well, we stopped doing those things, and then, you know, we this happened, and it's like, well, we stopped doing that, and, you know, we're going we're gonna to yeah. smile and give the thumbs up to the Haitians. And ultimately, it has been detailed and documented, even in, even in your op-ed, uh, but it is all over the place uh, with, you know, chock full of, of Haitian history. So I encourage every listener to to give it a read uh, yeah, and to I read mean. up on and to read up on Haiti. But if you believe that the government, the U.S. government and in other cases, other countries uh, may be at fault for some of the generational poverty or some of the some of the issues that that is, you know, not having the infrastructure to be able to recover from from earthquakes and and things like that. If you think government messed them up, then the answer cannot be, all right, Haiti, we left you alone now. You're good. Go off and and pick yourself up. Go and do it. You're a strong nation now. Don't need us. And that's not, that can't be the answer. If the government created the problem, the government should be responsible for fixing said problem. And, like, that's, I mean, to me, like, that's just basic accountability, which you know we're all about on the Friday <laughs> show. Yeah. I mean, that's basically all I have to say about it. But, I mean, I'm definitely a better writer than speaker. So if you want to, like, read the op-ed, um, you oh, don't have what? to. If, like, if, 
like if people want to read it you don't have to what's even more important is like educating yourself on the history um from like you know completely unbiased sources because you know history is what it is um but yeah it's called the abuse of haitian migrants set us back 200 years and it's in the hosher chronicle but go read it (laughs) go read it Everybody, yeah, oh, look at this. That was so selfless. You were like, I don't even care if people read it <laughs> and and all that. I just want people to be educated. Yeah, all power, all the people. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's jump. Uh, I mean, I guess shifting gears. We're still talking U.S. government, but they just avoided a shutdown yesterday. I'll get into that, uh, get a little bit of the lead in. So a little bit of a timeline for you. Um there was an agreement announced on Wednesday evening in the Senate that paved the way for last night, uh, the vote, um, where they essentially agreed in funding the government until September or until December 3rd. Um, this will provide funding to help the process and resettle, resettle Afghan refugees and finally deliver on critical disaster aid for Americans battered by storms and wildfires this summer. Uh, and then on Monday, the Senate uh, took up the House pass bill that would have extended the government funding to avert the shutdown and suspended the debt limit, something that happened as recently as 2018. Um, was when the debt ceiling was raised last, uh, the debt limit, if you, uh, if you will, if that's what you've heard before. Um, but Republicans blocked that measure. And so then there was a scramble and, you know, Republicans said that we're willing to shut down the government, yada, yada, yada. And then people were like, wait, you're going to shut down the government. Please don't do that. We are like still in the pandemic and like, you know, the government's in charge of the vaccine rollouts and like, please don't shut it down. (laughs) Um, but the Senate Republicans said they would have support they would support a clean stopgap funding bill to avert a shutdown if it did not contain the debt limit provision. See, what is interesting about that is that the debt limit really doesn't mean too too much. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a I, it does it sounds weird to say it like this. But it's just an arbitrary number that we technically have racked it's up. It's a construct. Yeah, it's it's literally a construct because the federal government doesn't have to balance the budget. They don't have to operate on a profit. They can operate on a loss for however many years they did. They operated under a loss under Donald Trump. They operated a loss under Obama. They operated a loss uh, uh, under Bush. Doesn't really matter. You can go back to every president in history. They spent a bag. Pretty much uh, from a federal government's perspective. But what makes this key interesting is that because the debt limit doesn't get raised, uh, I wonder how big of a key this will be heading into. Because, you know, me, I'm always thinking politically, always thinking about, like, <laughs> you know, who who gets what, when, where, why based upon values. That's politics, baby. Like, yeah, yeah like. To me, it seems like it's a it's a buy for 20, 2022 midterms where they can be like, look at the Democrats, look at what they're doing. They are increasing the debt exponentially. Look at what they wanted to raise the debt limit. You don't raise the debt limit. And that 
is something that you can't do. So you shouldn't do that as a government, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, they warned that they would likely run out of cash by and extraordinary measures by October 18th. Uh, so in 17 days, that was according to the Treasury Secretary. Uh, I mean, I, I know I'm talking a lot, but again, the idea of running out of cash. I don't know, man. It, it like fake, fake, yeah. fake. I don't like I don't know. Like I it's possible technically. Sure. If the government doesn't print more money, but the government can print more money. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are, Seville. Yeah, I mean, I don't really, I was saying this to you before, yeah. I don't even know how much to talk about, like, you know, government shutdowns, because to me, it, I, I can't quite comprehend it, like, it doesn't really make sense to me, um, but, I mean, the most I can say is, yeah, money's fake, which is why, <laughs> like, that's my mindset all the time, which is why it's kind of hard for me to understand, like, economic issues in this country, um, but yeah, <laughs> I wish I could say more, but I can't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and and maybe maybe the listeners also as well, uh, not as financially, you know, savvy with the inner workings of our government. So, the debt ceiling or the debt limit uh, is the limit on the amount of national debt that can be incurred by the U.S. Treasury, thus limiting how much more money the federal government may pay on the debt that they've already borrowed. Meaning that, uh, you know, if there is a set limit at $100, like Congress can only take up to that debt of $100 and then pay, et cetera, whatever on it. But if you raise the debt ceiling, then you can obviously borrow more money, yada, yada, yada. Uh, another point as to, again, why I think it's a 2022 thing mm -hmm. and how this is just all for show, it feels like to me, um, is we were talking about this before the show, 2018, like I said, Mitch McConnell goes out in front of the world, in front of cameras, and says into a microphone, yeah, we're gonna, ra we're gonna raise the debt ceiling. America can't default. America cannot default. <laughs> that's his. That's his big Mitch McConnell. That's my best yeah. Mitch McConnell impersonation. <laughs> that was um, good. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so then he goes 2021, just earlier last week, and says, "Senate Republicans, we are not going to raise the debt ceiling. Uh, America has to learn how to be financially responsible, and we cannot, we cannot allow them." to enter into this place and if that forces a shutdown if that forces a default that'll be what it'll be i'm mitch mcconnell i, I got a little bit i got a little bit too twangy towards the end in the accent but <laughs> uh i will say again it's hypocrisy of the highest degree it is what it is uh it i is like what it is it is what it is uh another part of this story from this week Again, Joe Manchin makes big news. Um, he was sort of the champion of the Senate uh, because it is split 50-50, so if they can just get Manchin on their side, they win. Uh, and, you know, of course I'm talking about the Republicans here. Um, 
There were many delays. Things were getting reconciled. We'll see. Uh, Mansion and Cinema met with White House's Brian Deese and Susan Rice. They said, I don't see a deal tonight. We're in good faith negotiation. I'm still at 1-5. It, it was just basically an open discussion, really, really, to begin where everybody seems to be. Glad Joe Mansion was just getting the opening conversation, you know, before the deadline mm -hmm. that, that would have shut down the government. Thank you, Joe. Super cool, super fun. We love politics. <laughs> it is so cool. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, let us jump in. We're going to bring on Dex Schmavonian, and we're going to first... Uh, Dexter, I, we sent you out into the field this week for the first time this semester. Sent you over to the Dematis School to cover one of the events that was uh, being uh, celebrated over uh, Susan Posner's uh, inauguration. Let's listen in to uh, first that, and then we'll get into this week's Schmabi report. Hello, I'm here with Dr. Rich Perzer. Yes. Perzer, the chairperson of the engineering department at Hofstra University. And I just wanted to ask you, there's such, one thing I noticed about the, the school is there's such a variety of different things you can go into, bioengineering, mechanical engineering, structural engineering. How do you think all these different fields blend together? That's a really good question. And one of the things that um, uh, people who may not be unfamiliar with engineering don't know is that our first and second years for almost all of these programs are about the same. So students are taking calculus, physics, chemistry a lot in their first year, and then in their second year, they all take common classes in things like um, statics and circuits, which are two areas of engineering that are very different, but at the same time serve as a basis for all engineers. Likewise, they take classes in things like engineering economics, where they learn about how they're going to be working in the business world as early as their sophomore year. Once you get into your junior and senior year, that's when you start to specialize in the different areas. And at, on one level, though, they still all have a connection in that we are problem solving, we're designing, and so we're doing a lot of uh, unique things in different areas, but we're following a similar kind of philosophy or mindset in addressing problems, solving uh, problems, coming up with solutions, designing better solutions, and really, in it might sound corny, but in a big way, we're making the world a better place by trying to address a lot of these different things. And to go along with the very large variety, out of all the different sub-schools, which, which single project or research piece do you find particularly fascinating or unique? That's a good question and it's a tough question because, so I'm an industrial engineer and industrial engineers look at a very broad set of things. Uh, we try to improve many different things, everything from healthcare to using numbers to improve the business environment, to, to, to you know, work better in business. Um, I can say that I worked on a project just this last summer uh, in this Aspire program, this research program, with a student where we were looking at something that might seem trivial to some, um, which was looking at baseball um, statistical analysis, looking at pitch-by-pitch pitch analysis for batters. 
But um, when you think about this as an industry, it's a billion dollar industry. And so we're looking at trying to do analytics in an area that's not been done before and trying to learn some new things about that area. And that concept, you can expand to really all of engineering because really that's what we're doing is problem solving, looking for solutions, using data to be able to become more informed and, and learn more about the world. Thank you for your time. You're very welcome. Once again, Dex. Phenomenal job out in the field. Uh, Why, thank you. Yeah, right? And uh, you do have another Schmavonian report for us. Do you want to give us a little bit of a, just a taste, a little bit of a nugget on, uh, on what we'll be sinking our teeth into this week? Well, coming up on the morning wake-up call, we'll be going over the biggest news in tech. We'll talk about a Facebook exec announcing, sorry, exec announcing his intent to step down as well as why he's leaving the company. We'll talk about China's recent ban on cryptocurrency, as well as other tech and media entities, along with just what this means for the country. And any outside sources used were the New York Times, NBC, CNBC, BBC, and Reuters. All right, let's give a listen to this week's Shmavonian Report! Hello. Welcome back to the Shmavonian Report. I'm Dexter Shmavonian, and today we're talking about Facebook's chief technology officer stepping down after multiple controversies and China banning all forms of cryptocurrency from their country, along with multiple other bans affecting tech and media. Starting off, the CTO of Facebook, Mike Schrepfer, has announced that he plans to step down from his position with the company and currently has transitioned to a part-time role. Meanwhile, we've got some breaking news on Facebook. Julia Borston has that for us. Hi, Julia. Well, Facebook CTO Mike Schrepfer, he's called by his nickname Shrep, announcing that he's stepping down as CTO after 13 years at the company. He's going to be transitioning to a new part-time role as Facebook's first senior fellow. Now, taking that CTO role in 2022 is Andrew Bosworth. His nickname is Boz. He's also a longtime Facebook employee. He created Facebook's AR VR organization, which was renamed Facebook Reality Labs, and there he oversees Oculus Portal and Facebook Reality Labs that is, of course, working on the metaverse right now. He was at Facebook back in January of 2006 and worked on the newsfeed, so he is a long-time Facebook employee, long relationship with Mark Zuckerberg, but still a big transition at the social network. Guys? And, and a surprise, right, Julio? And, and just uh, explain to us, where, where does CTO sit? Is CTO directly below Zuck? Is it, is it that high up? Yes, it's very high up. This is the C-suite. I mean, this is Mike Trevor. I've interviewed him before for CNBC. He's the guy who's really dealing hands-on with the technology. You know, you have Zuck at the, Zuckerberg at the top. You have Sheryl Sandberg, who's overseeing a lot of the different operations, also advertising. And then you have Mike Schrepfer, who's really been their partner in figuring out how the different technology pieces fit into this. So I think in a lot of ways, Boz makes sense because uh, Andrew Bosworth, I should say, makes sense because he has been at the company so long and is so deeply embedded, especially in some of these futuristic things like the metaverse, mm -hmm. which Zuckerberg is so interested in. And, and more recently, also some of these hardware initiatives, but does have his uh, his history at the company working on things like the newsfeed, which are really the backbone 
of the Facebook app. So surprising in that Trevor is not an uh, a not not an old man, if you will. Um, but the fact that he's not leaving entirely, and this is a longer transition, they're not announcing that he's leaving tomorrow. That does uh, sort of bode better for the transition mm-hmm. and shows more uh, more consistency for the company. This stepping down comes after multiple controversies regarding Facebook's repeated failures to address problems that are affecting their users. These problems range from the platform being considered bad for the mental health of young women, all the way to drug cartels using it to recruit hitmen among an assortment of other issues. His replacement has been named in Andrew Bosworth, nicknamed Boz, who is currently the head of their hardware division as Vice President of Augmented and Virtual Reality. Meanwhile, China has issued a ban on all forms of cryptocurrency in what looks like an attempt at removing all foreign influence and anything that the Communist Party cannot control from the country as President for Life Xi Jinping's massive power grows even more. The Chinese government further tightened the screws on Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies on Friday vowing to root out what it called, quote, illegal activity. The People's Bank of China banned crypto mining nationwide, saying cryptocurrencies must not circulate in markets as traditional currencies and that overseas exchanges are barred from providing services to mainland investors via the Internet. The PBOC also barred financial institutions, payment companies, and internet firms from facilitating cryptocurrency trading. China's central bank said in a statement on its website that Beijing will, quote, resolutely clamp down on virtual currency speculation and related financial activities and misbehavior in order to safeguard people's properties and maintain economic, financial, and social order. A coordinated move with other government agencies was the latest Chinese attack on Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. In May, China's state council vowed to crack down on Bitcoin mining and trading, claiming digital currencies posed a financial risk to the world's second biggest economy. The price of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies immediately dropped on Friday in response. Companies involved in the world of cryptocurrency and blockchain-related activities were down as well. Coinbase, the cryptocurrency exchange that went public earlier this year, moved lower in early Friday U.S. trading. Alongside the crypto ban, China passed a law restricting any users of Douyin, the Chinese equivalent of TikTok, under the age of 14 to only 40 minutes a day, while also restricting video game usage to just an hour a day, exclusively on weekends and holidays, while outright banning what they call sissy idols or effeminate men from the media. China has also refused to allow the most recent installment of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, from being shown in theaters. Now these bands cover a wide variety of subjects, but the one thing they have in common is that they are a Western influence and thus cannot be tolerated. None of these should be surprising, however, as China has a long history of banning foreign movies they deem offensive or anti-communist, and has banned Bitcoin in one way or another more times than one can count. If there's anything you can call this, it's a power move. Jinping is trying to drastically increase his already massive amounts of power, and it wouldn't be a stretch to say that before long, he won't even pretend to be democratically elected anymore. That's all for me today. Thanks for listening. I'm Dexter Shmavonian, and remember, stay shmavi. Oh, I always stay shmavi. <laughs> it doesn't even mean anything, but just, you know... Yeah, Whatever. Stay it means no. what it means to the listeners. Dex, don't discredit your own statement like that. That don't, is fair. Don't discredit your own catchphrase, your own tagline. Um, 
But no, lots of interesting information. I, I want to get your take on the rise in authoritarianism. I mean, you're, you're a big international guy. You've covered a lot of international stories for us uh, over this past month. And you've gotten a, to, to get a sense of, you know, the world a little bit. Uh, and and from my perspective, I, I, we're, to me, we see a rise. We're seeing a rise of global authoritarianism. Um, where and, and you know, Jinping is, is is an example of that, albeit on the other side of the spectrum uh, from maybe an authoritative capitalist leader. Uh, Jinping is the more authoritative communist leader on the other side of the world. Well, Jinping along with Putin, I feel like are kind of the pioneers of sort of a new trend of authoritarianism where they kind of disguise the fact that they're a dictator by calling themselves president, you know? Mm. Where, like, because Xi Jinping, is his official title is president, but he's not the president. Presidents don't have this much power. For life. <laughs> yeah, president for life. But I, when it comes to Bitcoin... I don't see this lasting long because Bitcoin's been banned God knows how many times in China. And technically this this has been Bitcoin's been banned since 2019. However, it was still kind of it was still being exchanged online through foreigners. Mm. So it it was technically banned but wasn't really. And I think it it's notable that this sort of extra wave of authoritarianism and them kind of doubling down on their power, it only comes like, what, a year or two after the Hong Kong protests? Right. And those have kind of died down. Right. But those could very much see a return as the country gets more and more powerful and as Jinping becomes more and more powerful. And also, like I said in the package, they didn't just ban Bitcoin. They banned Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings, despite that being heavily derived from Chinese history and with Asian-American actors. I don't really see how that movie necessarily... I guess the logic is they see Chinese people doing stuff that Americans support and being in a Western movie that could inspire some negative opinions, I guess. That's, that, would be, that would be my best guess as well. Um, but I, I would say that let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's movies, whether it's et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do, how do you think the pandemic has affected this where, you know, people are scared, people want healthcare, they want housing, they want some level of education, they want access to online school. So in a sense, do you feel that, you know, when people when when people's hands are tied, they're more willing to, to give up some rights like playing video games for an hour a day on weekends and holidays? Well, the video game thing in the middle of a pandemic is kind of weird <laughs> because video games is I guess you could call it a hobby, or a more activity. accurate term would be an entertainment activity. Yeah, that that's an entertainment activity specifically designed to keep you at home. Right. Even before the pandemic. Right. Because everyone, you know, like the whole 
stereotype is that gamers don't have any life because they spend their all their time in, in bed playing video games. And that was the type of behavior that people jokingly but not really jokingly used to say was like quote-unquote heroic at the beginning of the pandemic <coughs> because like you're not going outside, you're not spreading the disease. So if, if China doesn't want the pandemic, if you don't want a disease to spread, video games are actually very helpful because that gives you a good reason to stay inside all day and not socialize with anyone and still just be fine. Like, I've I've been a gamer before and I've spent, like, I, I've spent weekends and parts of my summer break just in my bed all day playing Red Dead Redemption. Right. So it... If the purpose is to help the pandemic die down and prevent the spread of COVID, then banning, or not banning, but restricting video games would be counterintuitive when you really think of it. Yeah. Um, Let's jump into our, uh, first of all, thank you, Dex. Appreciate you coming on, talking with us. And uh, let's jump into our next story of the day. A little bit here in New York. So, Bill, you want to take us through? Yeah. So, Northwell is firing their staff that refused to get the coronavirus vaccine by um, the deadline that was decided on by Governor Kathy Hochul. Hochul's order required hospital and nursing home staffers to get their first dose of a corona vaccine, coronavirus vaccine sorry, by September 27th. And as of September 27th, Northwell has confirmed that they have let go of about two dozen managers after they refused to get their shots. This caused a lot of controversy, but Governor Kathy Hogle is sticking firmly to this decision. Now, I think we've made it pretty clear that we're pretty pro-vaccine on this show. Weird. Um, Very weird. Yeah, very much so. But um, I don't know. What do you think about actual healthcare workers being fired for not getting vaccinated because these are the people who've been putting their lives at risk like since March well not not even last March um since March of 2020 but at the same time we do need as many people to get the vaccine as possible so right all right so here's my here's my two cents right mm-hmm. i think a lot of the misinformation and a lot of the anti-vax rhetoric was started and perpetuated by people who are already anti-vaccinations. But COVID gave them a reason to up the ante and really put vaccines in a spotlight um, and, and almost politicize them in a way. And we politicized the entire pandemic, to be fair. Um, but, you know, I, it comes down to whether or not, like, I mean, ultimately... This is the free market, right? Like hospitals, certain schools, certain states, certain restrictions, certain private organizations, et cetera, et cetera, uh, have certain restrictions. Uh, You know, for all the sports fans out there, there are certain uh, stadiums that won't allow unvaccinated players in attendance. So some players uh, like Andrew Wiggins on the Golden State Warriors cannot play in his home stadium. He, uh, he may have to play only 41 road games mm-hmm. <laughs> this season. Um, but that's the reality of the situation. What would they, what would people say in, in any reaction aside from, aside from this vaccine? Uh, wait, just get a different job. 
just find a different job. Mm-hmm. Just do it. I mean, like, listen, if that's the if that's going to be the argument for why people shouldn't get a $15 minimum wage, then it should be the same argument as to why you shouldn't claim discrimination because you aren't getting a vaccine mandate, right? Like, just find a better job. Just move. Why don't you? Mm-hmm. Or is it harder to move? Or do you not want to move? Like, maybe, you know, we, we should be able to do these things. And, yeah. you know, I, I see... Well, I, I see these TikToks of people comparing, you know, vaccinated individuals eating in restaurants without unvaccinated individuals. And they're like, huh, sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's like, all right, Michelle, you are not <laughs> comparing like your I'm sorry for all the Michelles out there. Uh, <laughs> you are not comparing your ability to eat your Olive Garden breadsticks to the plight of over 200 years plus uh, of, you know, <laughs> racial abuse in this country. Uh, it's it's mind boggling. Partially, here's my here's my suggestion. Yeah. You fire Dr. Fauci. <laughs> I'm serious. Fauci. Look, people are upset about him over the emails, over the gain of function research happening in the Wuhan lab. But it's really inhibiting a lot of these issues. If you put some other mope out there that just says, please get vaccinated, it's the smart scientific way to do, like that Fauci's been saying this entire time, then the anti-vax rhetoric and the, the, uh, the conspiracy theories that Fauci created the vaccine, that Fauci created the virus so he could do X, Y, and Z with it, um, you know, take over the world, et cetera, et cetera, Oh, it goes out the window as soon as you fire him. You think so? I think so. Unless you think that the story develops to the new person, like that, like suddenly this person's now in on it. I don't know. I mean, my opinion on this was that. I know I sort of derailed us, but. (laughs) I mean, just to like get back to it, like I, my opinion was that it kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but I get it. Like it's. It's a pretty bold decision to decide to fire healthcare workers for not getting the vaccine. But at the same time, if healthcare workers aren't taking the vaccine, then who will? And you can't have people who literally have other people's lives in their hands not willing to take a vaccine that's saving lives. Mm-hmm. So I get it, but it I don't know. It's. It's a little too, it's putting a little too much control, but like, like you were saying, um, I do think that it's kind of ridiculous how a lot of people who are, you know, a lot of anti-vaxxers, they're, they compare not like having to get the vaccine, having to walk around with their vaccine card to, um, you know, have uh, Jewish people having to have worn the Star of David uh back during the Holocaust, right. which I think is, like, not an equal comparison. But, yeah, I don't know. Vaccines just caused so much... This vaccine just caused so much, like... Just so much more unrest than I would have thought it would. Yeah. Um, you know, to your point there, that if... I, I think that we wouldn't have had vaccine mandates if... Mm-hmm. People got the vaccine at a normal rate, but like, you know, what is this? Like, we've like it's gonna be a year since this thing has like come out. 
mm-hmm. uh, pretty soon. We got only a couple of months since my since my vaccination in March. Um, but like, I, I don't know what what more people what more people need what what other people need. But it's certainly it's certainly not reading stories like that where yeah. where hospital workers are, are going away because it fuels to the fire. Yeah, a little I think bit. it's good for like um, you know companies and organizations to give like incentives for getting the vaccine. But I don't know that straight up firing them is the move because it's not going to encourage like other people to get the vaccine because it's just the government's literally the government's trying not to the government though it's private country. it's all private organizations yeah yeah I know but you know you know how the conspiracies See, go <laughs> um, well, yeah but that's what I'm saying that's the issue is that it feels like it's the government yeah yeah I mean this is like an announcement that Kathy Hochul made so. So it's not, this isn't the, if the goal is to get more people to get the vaccine, then this isn't going to do that. But if the goal, well, what it seems to be is to just have less healthcare workers who are unvaccinated and anti-vaccination, then, I mean, I guess that was achieved, but I have mixed, I have very mixed emotions yeah, no, on you it. Do. You do. And it's cool. I love it. I love hearing your opinions. They're, they're <laughs> great. Once again, all opinions stated here on Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call do not reflect those of 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University, Board of Trustees, or the university as a whole. Pretty much anybody who can get us in trouble um, or can get in trouble. Uh, mm-hmm. They are protected because I've said those words in that order. Um, I will say this, that like, vaccinations are like if the end goal was to get people more vaccinated i think that you know at a certain point people just have like we just have to cut our losses Mm -hmm. and not focus on the people who are so strictly anti-vax so down the rabbit hole but the people in the middle it's the people in the middle that to me deserve the most help the people who are confused who See a story like this, but and then they like. But how confused at this point? There's been so you could have like, if you're confused. I gotta do my own not, research, Sabil. Yeah, there's so there's so many available like sources to do research on the vaccine. I don't. See yeah, but how... I gotta do my own research though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it's been out for so long. There really isn't like an excuse to still be confused. <laughs> um, I think at this point you're either pro vaccine or anti-vaccine i feel like there's a healthy gray area where there's people who are hesitant Mm -hmm. because they hear things they read things but then they also like are like well i got vaccinated like whenever i was like 14 or whenever i was 18 or Mm -hmm. like whatever like you know the military people to me stepping down on this vaccine after literally in the military there's an entire vaccination day where you get like 26 shots at once really (laughs) yeah Excuse me. Uh, but, yeah, let's close it off with a little bit of some lighter news, um, shall we? You're familiar with Shakira. Yes. <laughs> she was attacked by boars. Yeah, this is definitely lighter news. <laughs> A little bit. Uh, Shakira says she was the victim of a random attack by a pair of wild boars while she was walking at a park in Barcelona uh, with her 8-year-old son. Uh she says the animals attacked her, seized her bag, and retreated into the woods. 
Um, she shared it on Instagram. She said, look at how these two wild boars which attacked me in the park have left my bag. Uh, they destroyed everything. The boars, man. I got to tell you, I am a big, big boar guy. Like, I follow boar stories, like, way more than you what? think. Like, okay. Are there that many? Like In Russia, all right, yeah. there are these radioactive mutant boars that have taken over a city. They've overran it. <laughs> I'm not joking you. And they're populating. And the, <laughs> and humans don't have enough to stop them because there's so many of them and they're so aggressive. Like they're like mutant. They're like very difficult to like get rid of. So they've like overrun this like town. And so it's just like this boar town <laughs> in Russia. And like it's it's remarkable and the russian government can't do anything like they are they send people in people die it is like i if we want to talk about conspiracy theories then <laughs> i'm not i like i'm not going to say that i be believe this but i can see a timeline in which the boar population becomes so powerful becomes too much for humans to be able to withstand, <laughs> and we're overrun by boars. Oh wow! There are boars in Florida. There are boars uh -huh. in uh, different parts of uh, different parts of the U.S. They are not as aggressive as these eastern, like far eastern boars, uh, and like Russia and China and other parts of the, uh, the world. But these boars are aggressive, and they let Shakira know about it. I did not know that there was so much about boars. Oh, um, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> read more about boars. Yeah, I really thought that there was just this story and that it was very <laughs> random. Um, oh, it's not random. It's never random with the boars, <laughs> Sibyl. The boars. Dang, I did not expect you to have like so much to say about boars. But <laughs> I guess, I guess I'll look into like other boar incidences. Um. <laughs> okay, yeah, look at this. It's furthermore in the article. In 2016, Spanish police received 1,187 phone calls about wild hogs attacking dogs, plundering cat feeders, holding up traffic, and running into cars in the city. Dang, so this is like a legit issue. Yes. <laughs> Shakira is the latest victim in increasingly aggressive hogs, which have invaded the Catalan, capi the Catalan capital in recent years. I'm telling you, the boars are coming, and they're coming for me, and they're coming for you, yeah, and they're coming this, for Dexter. I think this just created like a new fear in me. I'm looking at this picture of a boar, and like, I definitely see it in a new light. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't um, Pumbaa in The Lion King a boar? Or was he like... Uh, he was a warthog. Oh, okay. When I was a young warthog. Oh, yeah. Okay. If I may interject. Yes. Boars yeah. uh, <coughs> are essentially just more like... Uh, I feel like they're just more aggressive and just angrier versions of pigs. Yeah, like, that's what I always thought. But so th apparently there's so much more. Shakira actually just got basically just assaulted by a bunch of boars yeah in the middle of a city yep <laughs> their numbers have exploded across europe with the latest estimates of wild boars surpassing 10 million across the continent there are 10 million boars in europe europe is wow. not that big seville 
I'm telling you, it's a problem. It's a problem. To wow. be fair, you mentioned this happened in Russia, right? Oh, this happened no, in Spain. Happened in, oh, yeah. Spain. I thought you this said this happened in Barcelona. Barcelona. No, I thought I thought that you... there was like that. There's there's a the city of Boers. Of, of, yeah, of, the Boer city. Yeah. Oh, I thought you city. said it was in yeah, Russia, and I'm like, you know, like it's Russia. Yeah, <laughs> you expect it from Russia. It's, no, the Russian boar is very aggressive. Yeah. Uh, even more so. Even more so than potentially these Spanish boars. These Shakira boars. These Shakira boars. Oh, my goodness. What a show, ladies and gents. What a, what, what a way to end it off. Uh, the boars are coming for you. Do not fear. Um, or maybe. I don't know. Read more about it. Uh, read Sibyl's op-ed in the Chronicle, ladies and gentlemen. It is such a good piece. Or, as she would say, just don't. Like, you can educate yourself, and you don't have to read mine. But read it. Oh I God. want people to read it. <laughs> Sibyl doesn't have to tell people to read it. I want people to read it. Well, <laughs> that's you. Yeah, of course. That's going to do it here for the morning wake-up call. In the words of my father, go be good out there. Go learn something, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you all next week. Off the Charts is next.